here. We're back. Album Surf Shop. Favorite place. I feel this is really, um, when we missed a couple of weeks there, it was like I missed therapy. Yeah. And not that you necessarily provide the therapy for me, but... that therapist. Well, well, the in terms of like whatever's happening in the surf week, I think about, and it, I think about all the time, basically 24 hours a day because of Instagram probably and people emailing me and like listeners chiming in with their thoughts on whatever so-and-so did. And I need one day a week that I can actually like download all of that and process it and discuss it and not having it. I felt, uh, I didn't care about surfing as much. It was almost bottled up, bottled up, but also like, I just almost didn't care about surfing as much. I just, you're dying a little bit. Your love of surfing. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I, I feel you. So I'm glad to be back. So glad. Album Surf, I think, is the website. They host us in San Clemente. It's a they beautiful get, morning. They get prettier and prettier boards down there. Every time I pass, I see those boards on the wall. Oh, they're fine. Is there ever a time where a board's too pretty and you don't want to surf it? Mm. That's how I feel about albums boards because... Not all of them, but sometimes they'll do like the matte black oh, yeah. and then a shiny uh, X in the middle. And I'm like, that thing is gorgeous. But A, black's bad for your wax. It's going to melt your wax. And then how does the wax adhere to the shiny part versus the matte part? I still well, want the board, but I would never, on principle, I would never buy it as a wall hanger. But uh, I love the way it looks, but could I wax it? It's a real conundrum. Have you ever considered and or used uh, that spray adhesive stuff? No, I've never considered it, nor have I used it. I think it's a horrible idea, uh, but I don't know anything about it. Why is it a horrible idea? Well, so much about surfing is waxing, right? Like, and so when you remove not only the smell, but the, you know, the motion of, well, like waxing a board, waxing a new board, stripping wax, re-waxing, how you wax, looking at other people's wax jobs. Wax is a good let's say 15% of the surf experience. If you take that out and replace it with an aerosol can, feel you're robbing, you're draining 15% of surfing's magic. This is another conundrum because I hate waxing a board. Even if, even a new board? That, that is the worst because there's so much cu- area that I have to cover. Of course, now. but you don't like really... Well, so this is the conundrum is... In hindsight, it's probably like working out, let's say, where in hindsight, you're thrilled that you did it and the rest of your day is better. But the prospect of doing it never feels any easier. The hundredth time is just as hard as the first time for me. So that's how I feel with waxing. If I have a new board, I'll actually, and the waves are pumping tomorrow morning, sometimes I won't ride that board because I don't want to spend 15 minutes in the morning waxing it. I'll I'll ride an old board. I'll be so excited that I'll wax the night before. Sometimes I've done that. I love, I love waxing a board. You know what I dislike? Board porn ROMs stinking perfect wax jobs. The little dimples. Make me so mad. I mean, he, his is like, he makes like works of art with his wax. It's so perfect that I honestly want to puke all over his, bo- his board. It I makes feel me like livid. he has waxed as many surfboards as Kelly Slater has. For sure. But his is like so, I mean, that's you could, why, yeah. You could just tell what like a, his attention to detail. I like to do this kind of wax. Yeah. yeah I don't, yeah. I want my board. Like when I go into the parking lot and see people with perfect wax jobs, I don't like it. Well, because you're jealous. No, I just think, why are you doing that? 
This yeah. is this was this is all of a sudden a thing now. This was never a thing, right? I mean, having bumps on your board was a thing, but that whatever that like cross cross perfect perfect bump thing is is like in the last six months, right? What what's your technique then? Uh, so For, like, say you had a brand new clean board. How br- do you do it? Brand new board. I just start at the tail and go. Sometimes I'll even use base coat. I'll say. I'm, I used to not, but these days I've become a fan of base coat. Uh, so a quick base coat run though, uh, big circles, then small circles, then wax, big circles, then small circles. That's it. That's it. Simple. Yeah. I don't go side to side, front to back. I mean, I just move up the board, big circles, small circles. I need uh, to see your wax job then. It's ugly, but it's totally functional. Okay. I mean, how is, how is stinking Ron shines? perfect wax job it's not doing anything for them yeah i think it is so those small dimples i feel like um don't get matted down nearly as quickly where if you're doing big strokes there it's laying down wax in a long pattern and it gets matted down and then becomes slick the top becomes slick so smaller dimple more friction more surface area or i'm sorry less surface area less surface area per kind of wax unit, let's say. So do you think Ron surfs better than me because his yeah. wax job is, I mean, what percentage, speaking, going back to the percentages, how much better does Ron surf because of his perfect wax job? Well, have you ever done a backside 360? I never have. There you go. I'm going to say 50% better. <laughs> have you ever done one on every wave that you post on Instagram? Nope. Okay, then I'm going to say 70% better. Um, all right, so... I had so much I wanted to cover. Okay, the other thing, conundrum. Yeah. I love having a clean wax job, like on a used board. Sure. I love having a fresh wax job, but I hate stripping, stripping the wax. So the easiest way, you'll probably, we're gonna just ask or say, leave it in the sun for of five course. minutes, use a credit card, and the thing comes off easily. You actually don't wanna leave it in the sun too long. Because it gets soupy. That soupy is the worst. But then you can, what, you can forego the credit card and just use a paper towel. Or many, or a whole roll of paper towels. Oh, That's okay. What I do. I've never done that. Oh yeah, I'll leave it. If I leave it in the sun too long, I'll just basically get a roll of paper towels and just right. Yeah, and off it, it goes. It actually works. Though. I mean, it, it's messy, but because off it goes. when it gets too soupy, when I scrape it, it actually leaves a thin film of soup that you exactly. can't even see to the eye. Exactly. So there was another product on the market that probably still is the pickle. Yep. Which I learned ten years ago. Figured out just intuitively. It's just surfboard foam polyurethane foam in a stocking like in a leg you know woman's leg stocking that's all it is that's all it is dude so that's what i did i just went and bought stockings and went to my local surfboard shaper and just poly yeah just filled up three or four of those and i've had them in my garage ever since and i just reuse them what does it do how do you do the pickle again you just rub it on the wax so once the wax is scraped off and there's like these thin uh layers or it's in your heel dents a little bit and the credit card didn't scrape that you just rub this um it looks like it's a pickle in shape but bigger more so it's just a a pantyhose it's a girt thank you girthy pantyhose was the word i was looking for stuffed with foam and something about the foam seeping through the pantyhose um it 
lays it onto the wax. Oh, and then it, and then the pantyhose texture itself peels it off. Well, look at that. So the wax I've never puts used this. like imagine if you're going to uh, pick up an oil spill. Sure. They dump like foam or sawdust or whatever on it. Then you can just scrape it up easily with a broom. So that's what the pickle does. That's what the pickle does. It lays the foam on top of the it, wax and then draws it up with the pantyhose material. Fantastic. Yeah, it works. I don't know who invented that, but it works beautifully. Do you uh, strip your wax every trip you go on? Yeah, because last time I went to Costa Rica, I paddled out on like an overhead day with cold water wax on my board. Just slipped all over? Fully. Like fully almost pulled a hammy. Like yeah. slipped and was like, ow, that hurt, and yeah. it could have been worse. Yeah. Yeah. So what I, about you? I always strip pre-trip because oh, okay. I loathe the... Uh, Wax on the bottom of the other board, even though I have the Chinese a, wax job. Yeah, the Chinese wax job is such for some reason it, it feels so bad to I don't know what like because it's not that hard. I mean, it's just as easy to strip as the deck, but there's something that feels so deflating about pulling a board out of a bag and have the whole bottom like waxed. So, yesterday I was sitting in the water and just felt underneath my board, and I felt a little run of Chinese wax job on the bottom. I start scraping it with my nails, but it wasn't getting it off enough, you know? Mm. And I was thinking, why does this annoy me so much? How much does this affect my performance? And honestly, the answer is zero. Yep. It's no, literally zero. But there's something very like profoundly annoying about wax on the bottom of the board. Totally. You know what? You know where uh, things on the bottom of the board really affect you? Where? I.e. totally screw you snowboarding. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Man. Like when you get the... Whatever junk on the bottom of the board, that, and you just like stop mid hill. So frustrating. If it's waxed on, if you try to yep. wax it yourself and you miss a spot, yep. you can absolutely feel it. Yep. It's crazy. But yeah, on surfing. I don't think it matters at all. It's just annoying mentally. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, there's We're for snickety creatures. For sure. For sure. It's not affecting anything I'm doing. Yeah. It's not affecting my sick turns. Or my lack of sick turns. Exactly. All right. Well, I got a bunch of stuff we need to follow okay, up on from last week. Let's get into it. I looked up your hotel in Utah. Yeah. It's $4,700 a night. Yep. I mispronounced it too. I said the Amagami and it's the, uh, what Giri? is it? Amangiri? I said the Amangiri, I think, but it's the, what is it? No, really? I think you said Amangami. Yeah. I don't remember I now, but yeah. when I may, I, I when mispronounced. I was, yeah. um, uh, at any rate, $4,700 It's one of the fanciest. Did you look at it though? Yeah. It's the second fanciest in Utah. Yeah. There's one nicer. Oh really? In Utah. What's yeah. the, what's the second nicer in Utah? Like 500, 500 bucks more. It was what? like 50, 5,000 bucks. Well, like in the same zone. Yeah. Okay. South, Southern Southwest Utah, yeah. I feel. Um, Did it make you want to stay? Uh, yeah, I would love the opportunity to stay. Of course. Yeah. hundred percent. Yes. Also actually, I don't know that I'd feel comfortable there. Really? Paying 4700 4, a night? I would never pay 4700 so I would only go there by being somebody's guest or them hearing this and inviting us to go. And either way, I would feel out of my element. Really? Dude, do you ever go to a restaurant in LA and feel everybody's gorgeous here, the lighting's low, everybody looks amazing, and they also all pulled up in whatever ferraris and they all look like they're actors and actresses or mom and i'm i don't feel comfortable here i'm no, not gonna enjoy my meal no way i always feel i belong <laughs> i always want really? that's one of my i think real bad traits is there is no place that i don't feel i am 100 invited and making it better 
mm. by my presence and making it better. Yeah. Making it better wow. that without me there, that is the they'd, definition they'd of delusion. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> it is. truly is. Yep. But it's not that, that one, like I've had a lot of my, yeah, my illusions of self crack over the years. That one has not cracked at all. Good for you. Yeah. Keep it up then. Yeah. It must be true. Uh, it's it's got to be true. I could walk into the White House and think, this place. Yeah. Well, with this hotel in particular, it's not just the price. It's a very austere. Yeah. It's very design. Yeah. Like my room is all poured concrete. Mm-hmm. Like I don't feel comfortable here. Really? <laughs> you know but what I mean? But I think it's all, uh, isn't it all like enhancing the natural surroundings and stuff? I think it's, I mean, I think it's an architectural wonder. I think it's supposed to fit in yeah, yeah. to the natural landscape, but it still feels uh, forced somehow. Mm. I don't know that they executed. I don't know. I haven't been there. Yeah, we I should go. Like to go. Let's go. I'd like to go. Let's get, uh, let's set up a GoFundMe. Yeah. <laughs> have the listeners fund this for us. 47. All we need is 4,700 bucks. For one night. No, sure. it was a three night minimum. Oh. That was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was just the time of year I checked. No, it's always, I mean, I don't know that it's always 47, but I, it's always well above two or any time I've ever checked. Mm. Yeah. You also sold a pair of sunglasses inadvertently. I did. We don't even have a sunglass sponsor. I know. And you sold a pair of sunglasses inadvertently on our YouTube comments. Look at that. I went in and I, I can't remember the, you Andy, know, Andy Blanchard asked, Andy Blanchard asked what my sunnies are, which yeah. I love my sunnies too. Uh, they're Garrett light, which do you know, Oliver peoples? I know of, it's the Oliver peoples founder's son started oh. his own sunglass company called Garrett light. They have a, I think they have a couple shops. One's in Venice, but they're epic. And they, you can get like more or less custom. I think these ones are a one of a kind pair. I mean, Sweet. yeah, they'll, yeah. Well, this is not a paid advertisement, no. but good on them. Garrett Light. Um, speaking of YouTube, we have various international women in our comments who want to please us sexually. If only we'll click over to their websites. Amazing. Is it, is it the Coffee Sisters? No, it's. A lot of Russians, it seems. Well, that's great. Um, We have a Russian fan base. Andrea Rodriguez said, I need a boyfriend with six kissy face emojis and four heart emojis. Amazing. Do you want to reply to those or should I? Yeah, you should, I think. Okay. Uh, How'd your month without drinking go? Was that last month or is it October? I already Uh, lost track. It was September. It was, okay. How'd it round out? I I forgot to check in at the end. Yeah, it was was fine enough. Uh, Yeah, like nothing notable just done and now starting again um now that you're starting again do you feel the negative effects no okay yeah it would be a bummer to actually go cold turkey to eliminate to know that you can't do it i feel like increases the drive to do it for sure but i think i would imagine you cross the rubicon at some point and then lose desire yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I would no, think so. That'd yeah. be terrible if you were actually in AA and still had the desire 30 years later. I mean, it'd be rough. Maybe those people brutal. do. Maybe those people still have the desire. Um, how's how's homeschooling going? Oh, we haven't had updates. Oh man, she's back. Like it's like two hours a day, uh, four days a week, in in class, which is almost worse than homeschooling. It like is such a mixed bag of I don't really know what she's learning there. So I don't really know. I mean, yeah, I'm to be, to be frank, I'm thinking about pulling the plug entirely. I already talked about that on, and, but I'm still, I'm still thinking about pulling the plug entirely. Uh, does she like going in? That's the problem is she likes going to school, but she doesn't like school. 
So what is what doesn't she like about it? The kids or the teaching? No, she. I mean, she doesn't like the sitting learning part. I think, but she likes the recess. You know, they don't have oh. recess now. But she likes the social environment of school. But she doesn't like what's happening at school. I think you got to force that. The social environment or liking no, the, the part that she doesn't like, I think she needs to be forced to do. But of course, but I think the problem is they're not doing the best job of that part, right? Like I feel at this point I could set up a structure that would teach her better uh, or, or she would learn, you know, I mean, it would be obviously tailored for her with tutors and whatnot and yeah, stuff that she likes versus they do a lot of like jumping through, obviously. It's public school. They do a lot of jumping through weird hoops as sort of, you know, I mean, public school is for everyone. And so that's this big, broad program. And, you know, a bunch of it, I feel, is pretty unnecessary. Mm. Yeah, I I don't know. Nobody liked school. Very few people liked school. Yeah, And I, I guess what I was going to argue is, but we all went, we all benefited from it. But then I realized maybe we didn't all benefit exactly. from it. I mean, so I'm not going to argue that point. Imagine that your parents <laughs> said, okay, David Lee, little David Lee, when you were, you know, second grade, like she is, said, we're, see, we're watching this whole school thing happen and it's fine. It's, you know, it's a, we'll give it a C. It's like a passable thing, yeah. but we are going to take you out of that not going to just, you know, sit you down with a bunch of homeschool books and, you know, or whatever. We're going to tailor something for you. Just think how much better you could be right now. If they would have tailored a, or think how much better yeah. you might have been. I would have been way smarter for or, sure. And the, or, or you could have found a passion that yeah. you liked early on that they could have said, okay, great. We are going to get you, you know, let's really focus on that. Let's really push here. Uh, and we can leave the, you know, the, geometry and whatnot aside i mean that's the everybody says it of course when unless you're a doctor or engineer or something when do you ever use math right never like well less less and less with each generation of course you and, and i used it a little bit to calculate tip percentages on whatever now your phone does everything everything for you completely and i understand that at some level probably the calcification of the human mind by not doing this stuff is bad, but, and not that I don't want her to do any math. You know, I want her to have a nice basis in how numbers work and whatnot. But once you get a basis in how numbers work, then screw the rest of it. Yeah. Screw all algebra, screw all geometry. Oh no, don't screw geometry. Well, angles and whatnot are important. But if you're inclined in those ways, sure. then you, if, the, if, your teacher will identify that and you will then design or Precisely. software and whatever else. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's my thought right now is, could I do better than school? Uh, and if I could, like, okay, if I can do that, how much time does that take? Like, yeah. or or can I get this thing sort of perpetual motion where between tutors right. and activities and programs, you know, then she'll be busy enough of the day doing stuff that's actually not just babysitting. I hate the thought of sending her to school as glorified daycare, like, and not, you know, nothing against public school. Like it's fantastic and I'm so thankful for it. But as I think, okay, what are the, op what are the options? And especially if she's going to be stinking in for two hours a day, four days a week, then there's got, there's certainly a better option than that.
individualized learning is probably the best case scenario and probably what you pay for if you're sending your kid to public or private schools or whatever, it's probably fewer students in the classroom, I would think. Mm -hmm. And so I think you're definitely going down the right direction. Um, the idea of wasting time is less and less appealing to me the older I get as well. So if you have a child who's curious and has all these interests and you put them in an environment for eight hours a day that is not tapping into what their needs are and they're ultimately just wasting eight hours a day, my as I reflect on my experience in public schools, maybe this will help you make your decision. I tried to get away. My only in my main effort was getting away with trying to not do what they wanted me to do. Yeah. So never did my homework. I'd go to class and it was like a game. Yeah. Like me and my buddies were just going to screw around and they were trying to get my attention, trying to get me to do the things. And I would just, I, it doesn't matter what it was. I was going to try to not do it. Yeah. That's all that we tried to do. And so it's sad because I think that I actually was fairly intelligent and that I could have done really well, but I just, it was like a defiance thing. And, and I was able to get away with it, by the way, like I would just show up for tests, ace the tests, not do any homework and then get a C plus or a B minus throughout yeah. all of my classes. And then in college, I actually learned that I liked learning. And so I thrived there, but if I had teachers who actually catered to me and were like, well, what are your interests and strengths? Let's do more of that than the math. The, the stinking uh, interests versus strengths thing too, I think is like seeing now, okay, you know, do you, with your child or with a student, like if they're interested in something, like do you push them that way? So for example, uh, my daughter's, one of her best friends is Japanese and the other of her, her best friend speaks French, uh, or is a native French speaker. And so I asked her, you know, which, what do you want to learn? Japanese or French? Uh, and she said Japanese. And I said, Hmm, like French is more practical. It's more, you know, useful. I mean, likely we'll go to Europe more often than Japan or Chi probably. But then I was thinking, but maybe, maybe not like, so what do you, do you, is the child's interest always right? Or as the parent, adult, whatever teacher, do you say, nope, Japanese is fantastic, but it is, you know, you're probably not going to use it as much. And so I'm going to force you to do French, right? I don't know the answer to that mm -hmm. question. And can you do both? Well, that's what I was thinking. I was going to yeah. have her do Japanese and French. Yeah. See that, which is part of what I was thinking about pulling from school too, in terms of like, that would be fantastic for her to have, French, Japanese, you know, every a ballet, da, da, da. I mean, a real, and then along with the math and reading and whatnot, but it would be a lot more practical use in her life to know multiple languages than forcing her to learn algebra if yep. she's not inclined. Yep. That's what I think. And this actually relates to some of my surf news well, that I have later, but I'm not going to go there yet because <laughs> okay. we have a few things we need to touch on still. Okay. Um, well, let's just do boarding school because we're talking about private school. Uh, we did barrel or not boarding schools. I got a lot of feedback about that. Yeah. One was that I referenced Paris Hilton being the impetus for that barrel or not. She put a documentary out. I had not watched the documentary. Did couple, you watch it now? Yeah. A couple oh. people encouraged me. They're like, I think you misread Paris. I was basically saying Paris is a priss. Sure. And like, 
got regular amount of discipline at boarding school and pretended like she was tortured. Is that not true? No, she was properly tortured. <laughs> how, how much do you love totally speaking off the cuff without any knowledge, just opinion, like shallow opinion and just speaking it as truth and then getting caught out. Yeah. And I don't even care. Like, you're right. That happens to me all the time. But when I got called out for not having watched a Paris Hilton documentary, well, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> so she's so she is properly tortured. Well, it turns out that this particular boarding school then Where was like it? has a, in Utah, I think. Okay. Utah or Colorado. Okay. But it has like a long track record of abuse. And Is um, it like a scared straight one or no? No. It was not meant to be. It's like a rich a rich kid boarding it's, school. It's just a rich kid where the um, it's just corrupt basically. Yeah. So I I did watch that documentary Paris Hilton is an interesting figure, but she is um, definitely got mental illness, I would mm -hmm. say. Like, she is problematic. And she's a product of her environment. Like, you can't pin it all on her, but um, it's pretty interesting to watch from a psychological standpoint. Anyways, okay. a couple of other people said they had good experience at boarding schools. They said it's not always about discipline, which I suggested that it was. Yep. Um, one guy said, holy crap, just listen to the episode. My parents were in, in the military and I sent, and I was sent to a boys boarding school at age 11, spent the next five years trying not to get effed by male teachers. Shortly after I left the place was investigated and ultimately shut down. A pedophile ring had been operating there for years. Oof. I was one of the lucky ones. Lots of others uh, are still living with the trauma. Huge gnaw for Ooh, me. Ooh, wow. How crazy is that? Poor guy. Yeah. Well, maybe it made him stronger. Yeah, well, I mean, thankfully he dodged it. Yeah, but, I mean, still having to dodge it for five years as starting at 11? At 11. So to even identify that that was a threat at 11, sure. wouldn't, I wouldn't have identified it. I no. would have been like, yeah, Ooh. crazy, right? Yeah, um, off-putting. You also referenced Scent of the Woman, the movie. Yeah. I watched that the night of, Friday night. You I had never it. seen Scent of a Woman? I can't believe you had never seen it. So my thought was I had encountered it, parts of it at various times, and um, never watched it from beginning to end. Wow. And then I sat and watched it. I definitely had never seen that movie before. Yeah. It was all new to me, and it was way more serious than I thought. Sure. Just from hearing everybody go, hoo all the time, and seeing him walking around with a cane, I thought it was like all... I don't know, um, light hearted. What's, what's, it's not lighthearted at no, all. No, it's, it's about suicide. Serious about coming of age, about it, making decisions. Crazy. Yeah. And Al Pacino hugely overacted. What is the, uh, what's the kid's name again? Chris O'Donnell. Yeah. But what's Chris's name? In there? Oh, I forget. Yeah. He's a man. Yeah. And it goes in this big speech. This boy. Yeah. It was really, really good. Yeah. But I mean, way more serious. I got midway through and I was like, it traumatized going, yeah. oh my gosh, I thought this was going to be a lighthearted no. romp. Serious. Dead a serious. Serious film. But boarding school. About boarding school. It is. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, all right. Also, I was reading uh, Ashton's write-up on Stab about Michael Thompson. Ooh, the yeah. number one comment in there, you're ripping him a new one. Yeah, you like that? <laughs> I'm not sure. Why, why are you ripping him a new one? Because he's such a dipshit. I mean, like, for him to go in at the MT thing and be like, ooh, you know, more or less, people are misreporting this, when very clearly it was not being, I mean, it was being, I suppose, 
on the letter of the law misreported, but but not the spirit. Like he, Michael Thompson was breathing by himself in a induced coma that he hadn't come out from and was had been taken off life, life support. It was over, right? I mean, it was an official rap. And so for Ashton to write a story about like, Rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Yeah, like, come fucking on. I mean, to me, Ashton has now bungled badly, like, badly, the two, obi- I, I don't know how you bungle obituaries, but completely shredded Michael Ho's obituary, and now, like, pointlessly, I think just to, I mean, who knows what he was thinking? I have no idea what was going through his fat mind. Um, What's his role at Stab currently? Do you have I any have no idea? idea. Yeah. Me neither. I feel like I heard um, Stab moved to Oceanside. The magazine? Uh huh. Like the headquarters? I mean, I don't oh. know what what they consider a headquarters, but it was an office. Yeah, like um, I don't, I didn't hear that, but just from the outside looking in, Ashton's writing less articles. Yeah, and obviously he was doing the no contest thing with Red Bull, and that's not happening now. Um, so he seems to have less of a presence. But I don't know. Yeah. I yeah, I don't know. No idea. All right. Well, that was funny. I laughed when I saw your comment there. Um, <laughs> everybody a, seemed to agree with you though. I mean, it's such a sh- stupid, shitty thing to do, I thought. Well, I wonder too. This is off the cuff. I'm just thinking aloud, but if whenever Ashton does put his name on something or appear in like the no contest videos last year the comments section rips him a new one. Sure. And so I wonder from Sam's point of view, like from management, looking at your employees, what if Sam is really happy with Ashton's work and output? And then all of the commentary from the public is anti that person. Does it affect your view on your employees? No, because I would imagine that Ashton has like the bro bro friend thing with the industry people and the people who matter to Sam or to the business. And so he, I think this is the way Stab has always thought about its own reader. But also I think, you know, it's, it's probably the smart business way to think about it is who cares? You guys literally don't matter. Uh, you are a consumer of our product, no more, no less, but you're not a voice here. So don't give two shits about your opinion. We're making business up here. You're eating it down there, right? I would imagine that's what the thought is. So I would imagine they would think that is not reflective of how, of Ashton's value. Good. Well, it would all come down to metrics then. If whatever Ashton's doing gets the same number of views that everything else, then it doesn't, then you're right, it doesn't matter. I've come to the horrible conclusion that it doesn't. nobody cares about views. I mean, Beach Grit for the last whatever has been, you know, I mean, we, we obviously, I think Stab averages like 300,000 uniques a month and we're up somewhere around 1.3 to 1.6 million uniques a month. So, I mean, not only dwarfing it, but like, you know, I mean, it's not even funny anymore. Uh, and nobody cares. Nobody cares. Like, People don't care about views. Advertisers it, don't care. Adver- advertisers don't care about views. And the public doesn't care about views either. Who cares, right? And so... The public definitely doesn't. Yeah, but, advertisers, but advertisers, that d- should be their currency. Should be, but it's not. They claim it is. I don't think they mean it. I think they think, you know, whatever, which again, I'm no businessman very clearly, but whatever the machinations of making money, 
I don't understand, but it very clearly has nothing to do with views. Um, maybe I mean, your interpretation, what you're referring to is 300,000 views versus your 1.3 million views are not the metrics that they're studying. And maybe those views, because when we've had experts I mean, chime in on those had, numbers. But we've had, we have, <clears throat> every one of our metrics is better. We have mm. people longer on site at the time. We have a, uh, whatever, bounce rate that's minuscule. I mean, every single one of our metrics is legit. If I had to think of what the reason is, why let's say advertisers are spending more money on stab then, I would argue it's salespeople. It's if you get a good salesperson or team in there convincing the brands that not only do we have, maybe it's not more views, maybe it's um, more engagement, let's say with the audience and we're culture makers. I think a salesperson could convince an advertiser that those things are true. Possibly, not but, that it's not that it is true. But also, I was just told uh, by a friend, a wonderful person, who I will not share his her identity, uh, but surf industry person, who said that Beach Grit is uh, a place of white male nihilists, and it, it scared them deeply. Beach Grits, or I don't know about scared, but like. It was very concerning that beach grit is white male nihilism. Um, how do they know the c skin color of just beach the, grit reader? Just the tone, uh, probably assuming that the commenter, I mean, I think it was all of it. I think it was white male nihilism from me and Derek on down. That's fascinating. Yeah. Like the whole thing. How did that make you feel? Toxic. Speaking uh, of therapy. Yeah. It made me think, what? No, come on. And then it made me think, ooh, that's probably how it presents. But then it made me think, well, I was asking this person to come on Dirty Water and was refused because of the gotcha. like beach because of the white male nihilism. That's fair. And then sure. But then I said, Well, I would love Tell even more for you to come on the show and let's I will tee you up. I will you know, if I could, if we could have a real debate about, you know, meaningful or what he thinks is meaningful and versus what I think Beach Grid is doing. But then it made me think, what is Beach Grid doing? Maybe it is just white male nihilism. I don't disagree with him. Yeah, no. I think it is nihilistic with, but that carries so much baggage and makes it feel so negative. Is there... Uh, any virtue in nihilism? There well, kind of can be. I, and you are white males. You sure. and Derek, if you are the two, you know, principals in the company, you're both white males. So that's true. White male nihilism. I mean, yeah, it's it's caused me much thought. I was thinking, well, you know, we started Beach Grit anti-depressive, anti right? Like, which have we have, has the ship turned into be into somewhere that's purely toxic now? Like, but I don't think it's, I mean, I think it's still antidepressive. That's what I think I suppose is antidepressive. Yeah. Like being able to laugh at virtually everything. Uh, but I guess when you're laughing at everything, then everything is meaningless. And if everything is meaningless, then you're a nihilist. But I was trying to think of what the principles are because there's clearly, I you know, there's things that I feel so deeply strongly about, but then I was you know, continuing to think, have I rotted my core? I don't think I have. That's, yeah. I don't know that I have an opinion on that. That's for you to analyze. We, I'm still on the 
white male nihilism thing. We, uh, good friend, best friends and I, uh, or best friend and I in college came up with our philosophy, funny enough, which was plus one nihilism, uh, which is nothing matters except the person directly in front of you. I like it. Yeah. Plus one nihilism. I could live by that. Yeah. Um, while that person might be true in their statement, I, I feel like they're attaching way too much of their own personal, I don't know, perception on that statement. Like you could be white male nihilist, but that doesn't mean that that person can't come play and like, uh, interrogate you guys about what that's sure. about. I guess ultimately they just don't want to be associated with it and also don't want to do anything that would help you guys promote what you're doing. If which is the problem, I suppose, in the day and age in which we live where pitched, you know, pitched camps, everybody's on their side yeah. and a lack of wanting to interact with the other side. Yeah. Or, you know, because I think still, I mean, great. Why? Like, let's have that discussion. Let's have the discussion of white male nihilism and let's have the discussion in a broader context. Is it bad? Is it good? What does it mean? You know, what do you think we should be doing? What are you doing? Like to me, it is ground for a conversation, but I suppose from this person's perspective, that conversation will be happening on beach grit, which is again, the place of white man nihilist, but back right. to stab and Ashton and the rest of the surf industry, even though we crush everyone with our numbers, maybe that's how the surf industry also looks at beach grit. It is a place of white male nihilists, toxic, mean spirited, not anything we want to be associated with. Well, we could not have teed up a better segue for our actual first news story 40 Great. minutes into the show, <laughs> which I was analyzing money's mo money moving through the surf industry and or around it because of Laird's IPO. And so I had an epiphany that maybe there might be more money in surfing without the WSL post COVID. Po let's just say post WSL, like does the WSL survive COVID? Maybe not. Yep. And I honest, and so it used to be, or let's say for the last two decades, professional surfing was where the money, uh, professional competitive surfing was where the money was made. Yep. So if you were winning world titles, you get a million dollar bonus from your sponsor. And then obviously all the contest earnings probably amount to 300,000 bucks if you won a world title that year. No, I think a lot more. I mean, more, I think, more in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess they really, it was 30,000 forever for a win. So yeah, 300, right. 300 grand if you win the world title. Yeah. Uh, but you don't win every event, you so, know? So what, and then, so like the top surfers were making between one to 4 million bucks, let's say. I think I would argue it's funny. I just, was reading Welcome to Paradise. It's awesome to read a, I did the audio version that just never existed. Oh, I just envision you in your backyard reading your own yeah, books. Yeah, just sitting slowly. No, there's no audio version of Welcome to Paradise. Now go to hell until now. Uh, and I insisted, I was dissatisfied with the reader on the other cocaine. It was terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was terrible. And so I insisted, I should have insisted on reports from hell too, but I, I insisted on this one. And so at first they were like, mm, and then, but you know, they said, okay. So in the studio for the last, it was supposed to be all week, but I banged it out in three days, but oh man, cringing, reading through something you wrote oh, yeah. eight years ago. All to say though, that remembering the stinking bottom 
middle pack, bottom pack of pro was on, was doing over one. Really? Oh yeah. Like name who the surfers would have been in that era. Uh, like Kai Otten and Crazy. those kinds of guys. Yeah. Over a million bucks. Kai Otten might not have been over a million, but, uh, anybody, anybody whose name you knew from that era yeah. was near a million. Jamie O'Brien was making like 2.4 or something right during that, during the wild years from rusty, uh, who were his rusty Red Bull? I'm just trying to place which era uh, this was. What, what was his sunglass? Can't remember his glass, but like, okay, yeah. But everybody, everybody was making money back then. Well, Laird is the quote chief inventor of Laird Superfoods. Is that what his title is? Chief inventor? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and he has Awkward title about six hundred thousand shares, almost seven hundred thousand shares of common stock, um, and. They went public. What did, His, they, what did their IPO net? So it was sold in private markets before it actually was available through the stock exchange for 22 bucks. And then I think it opened on the stock exchange at 35, Ooh. maybe 33, 35. And now it's trading at near 50. Wow. His share is worth $30 million. Laird and Hamilton. He has, and he has another five to 10 million in options. So Laird Hamilton in one day was $30 million richer. Yeah. And I got me thinking, and this goes back to how you're going to bring up Hemi, is uh, he completely subverted the surf industry almost sure. for year, for decades. Yeah. Like the only sponsor I can even remember Oxbow. associating Laird yeah. with was Oxbow. Yeah. But he has existed as this archetype of it, surfers. He, he was on Nike all conditions gear for a while, wasn't he? I don't remember that. I remember seeing those Nike ACG ads. Maybe I'm totally imagining that. I would love for a viewer to tell me I'm wrong, but I remember Laird ACG. And and I kind of pointed fun, pointed and made fun of Laird of over time, like going, God, this guy's such a kook, like his Laird clothing line and his Laird SUP line or whatever. And I have a feeling Laird's laughing all the way to the bank because he's looking down at me going, signing your life away to a surf brand so that you can make $1 million a year is a joke. Well, not we a, should be making $10 million. Not only that, I mean, I'm sure Laird was looking down and saying, you're a joke. This whole industry is a joke. That's what like, my point is. Every part of this is a joke. So when we look at, even then, Kai Otten making a million bucks, I think that is short-sighted. Because then you think about Kai Lenny. He's not trying to lean on the surf industry. I mean, how many times did he appear in Surfer Magazine before it stopped printing? Yeah, I have no zero, idea. Zero, maybe? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was like something, but yeah. He, maybe he wasn't zero? A, yeah. yeah. Zero to 10? Yeah, you know? zero to 10. And versus, uh, name the number of surfers who have been in it more than a dozen times who haven't made a million dollars in their entire life added up. I mean, you know? Griffin and, Colapinto. Right. Well, he's getting close. Is he? I mean, I oh, think yeah. his Billabong thing was oh, yeah, 600,000. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, so, but he's, so Kai has Tag Heuer as a sponsor. Red Bull certainly is paying him as a sponsor. Nike plus Hurley, like he's making over a million bucks yep. for sure. Uh, Kanoa Igarashi, he's got Vi Visa. Courtney Conlog is on Polo Ralph Lauren. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, but Courtney Conlog, I'll say, I bet she's getting paid very little on that deal. Right. Like, you mentioned that previously. Yeah, the blue chip brands when you see them. I mean, Visa to Kanoa might be something, but uh, Pola would be 
would be small kind. Well, and let's actually, Courtney isn't the best example because she's taken the traditional path of learning algebra by going on the world tour and all that sort of stuff. But Kai Lenny is a Laird 2.0. I mean, it's completely, they just looked at the industry and said, you guys are kind of a joke. It's incestuous and it's small. I'm just going to hop around you and end up creating a product that we then sell on the stock exchange. Do you think Kai right now is in his basement mixing up a coffee creamer? I mean, how <laughs> his many? Own conco- his own turmeric blended. Because he could He's totally do to. it. I mean, he yeah, or he, or he could do a, you know, Kai... Kyle Lenny burger patty or something like that, a vegan burger. Yeah, I mean, there's no some, meat. I mean, taro, taro patty. Exactly. The Kai taro. Yeah. Something. He absolutely should be. That's definitely next. His management is looking at it yeah. for sure. Based on this. I mean, honestly for Laird, if somebody approached you and was like, give me five years of your life and then we'll IPO this thing and you'll make 30 million bucks. I'd be like, yeah, what is it? I don't care what it is. Let's do it. I remember when, I mean, how silly, how silly I am. Uh, when Laird, coffee, whatever, Laird Superfood came out. I couldn't stifle my chortles. Right. <laughs> exactly. Look at this butthole now. <laughs> like, what a butthole I am. Well, so I was also thinking that um, the industry brought this on itself. Like, for the exact reason you're talking about Beach Grit right now, or our podcast, bringing on advertisers to the podcast. We have to convince people to give us money. And they generally don't listen. And so we end up advertising for Manscaped, right? Or you direct sunglass sales to Gordon Light. Yep, right? you don't see a dime from it. Pay full retail pop. <laughs> right, but it's like, we can't convince the industry to give us money. And all these kind of non-endemic brands recognize the value and go, okay, well, we'll give you money and we can do it. Which I'd rather funnel that money back into, uh, you know, brands that we're actually using in the water every day, if we could give us a buck, you'll end up making two from our listeners because our listeners want to support us. And uh, it's bizarre to me that we're forcing that fit and that the industry, and I don't know, it might just be reflective of these brands start small in their garage and they don't necessarily have marketing budgets. And so they're stretched super thin. I mean, I just think everybody in the surfing street, like reading... Again, welcome to paradise. Uh, back when, uh, you know, uh, I think I wrote it, or I think the season I covered, North Shore season I covered was 2011. Okay. Wrote the book in 2012, came out in 2013. Okay. So I'm really talking about 2011. Okay. Which, you know, and it's a real snapshot of 2011, uh, which is cringy to go back and, you know, read myself in 2011. I mean, it's just like looking at 10-year-old pictures of yourself is embarrassing. But... Um, all the things I would change and all, anyway, it's real torture. It's real torture. You know what else is real torture about it? What? The mic is so good for these things, oh. uh, that your stomach cannot grumble at all. So you, it gets grumbly before lunch. So you got to cut before lunch basically, but then it gets grumbly after you eat. And so you're caught in this perpetual, the engineer, like he will hear my stomach grumbling when I can't even feel it. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> got, a, got a lot of noise behind that one. Got to do it over. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. But anyhow, uh, writing about the surf industry then, and it felt sort of collapsing then. Like I think uh, I write about Billabong 
Z investors had just started getting pissed that they had been sold a bill of goods and were demanding certain things of Billabong. Uh, Quicksilver was doing good, but not great. Hurley was like booming. Target was there on the North Shore that year. Yeah. So Target was like really coming in and doing something or it felt like they were. Uh, it's still kind of a bummer. And I, but reading it then about that surf industry versus what it is now, I mean, that thing was like, are you kidding? That was like the greatest surf industry ever compared to what mm-hmm. it is now. Yeah. Like the amount. It's a fraction now. Of what the that amount was. that it's fallen in nine years is <laughs> remarkable. It really is. It is remarkable. The fact that, you know, I talk a lot about Billabong and Quicksilver. The fact that Billabong and Quicksilver are now one company uh, owned by a capital management group that is, I think, not doing the best. Uh, or Oak, I think Oak Tree, I think, just got a loan from, or maybe it was Quicksilver. Somebody just got a loan. I think it was Quicksilver got a loan from the French government. <laughs> not a loan, a uh, cash infusion. Like a investment, bailout. I think. Yeah, yeah, more or less. Crazy. Yeah. Um, I think as I think about Laird and all that necessity breeds, uh, invention, right? And so like Chloe and Dino, Julian Wilson, they had so much from the get go. They just were paid really well and catered to from the get go. So to see Julian Wilson surfing without stickers on his board, he doesn't even know what to do. Like he couldn't figure out how to create his own julian superfood if he needed to but the problem is would there be a market for it right i mean i feel laird exactly laird marketed health and like this sort of laird was the way that average men wanted to look like you know big and tan yeah. and brave uh and laird marketed that and look at now i mean he's well, laird, laird has a brand julian doesn't have a brand chloe and dino doesn't have a brand or their brand is just uh similar to everybody else's kind of is Laird Hamilton bigger than the surf industry? Probably is Laird Laird Hamilton's personal brand between the coffee creamer and the subs and whatever other, I'm sure he's got a bunch of paddles, whatever other like dumbbells he sells, or I'm sure there's a bunch of Laird branded is Laird Hamilton bigger than the surf industry. Look, he's not generating more revenue than the entire surf industry, but as a, I don't think so. But as a concept, he almost is. Yeah. I mean, he's, sell, he's selling, I see Laird Supps in lakes far away from the ocean in foreign countries. Right. But in every beach you go to, it's all filled with surfboards from every other brand and you'd have to add up all those numbers. But that's, but there's Laird Supps out there too. I mean. not There's just way more surfboards than there are Laird things. Sure. But I'm saying, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting, Yeah, we'll have to get a kid in your daughter's class who is good at algebra <laughs> to run the numbers for us. But I think as a concept, he almost is. I mean, look at, that's why Kelly left Quicksilver. Yeah. Was he, Kelly's brand is bigger than Quicksilver. Like what can Quicksilver possibly provide Kelly that he can't provide on his own? But I think Kelly overplayed his hand. I don't know what the numbers that's on Outer Known are, but I think sure. Kelly's brand is not, Kelly's personal brand is worth something. People know Kelly Slater, right? but I don't know that anybody buys anything because of Kelly Slater, where people both know Laird and buy stuff because of Laird. Right. But it's interesting to think that we thought, like the brands themselves thought that Chloe and Julian were the ones that you give the check to. But in hindsight now, seeing them without stickers on their board and realizing that they actually don't have any real unique 
value in this new world order? I mean, the thing is, if once the foundation of this crumbles, which is what we care about is professional surfing or what people care about is professional surfing, once that crumbles and you stop caring about professional surfing, then yeah, Julian and Kalohe and the rest of professional surfers are done, right? Who totally. like you just, I mean, again, back to our good friend, uh, Wade Gravy. No, what's his name? Uh, Goodall? No, Wade Goodall or Wade Carmichael? No, what's the gravy? Ben Gravy. Ben Gravy. Uh, ben Gravy, again, I don't know how he's doing these days in terms of his... Um, or how he's been able to do in COVID with his YouTube stuff. But Ben Gravy has a more solid brand than most professional surfers That's on tour. That's crazy. That is crazy. I saw a kid in Trader Joe's checking out at the grocery store who had Ben Gravy's logo tattooed on his forearm, that pineapple <laughs> with the sunglasses. And I was like, I was looking at him and I was thinking, I don't know if he even surfs. Just looking at him, I don't think that he surfed. Yeah. And I was like, wow, he loves Ben Gravy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how long did it take for Kelly to get somebody to tattoo his face on their body? Longer than Ben Gravy. Way longer. Yeah. Because my mind was blown. Yeah, but that's, but, but like the, the whole entire, like the money for sure, more money than ever is going into surfing. I mean, I'm sure that Wavestorm sales are yeah. like, I mean, through the roof. I mean, I think there's a bunch of surfing stuff that is selling. Just very little of it flows into the actual surf industry. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yep. Well, perfect dovetail for the next talk, uh, segment, which is called the backside bottom line. Great. And so the... The seed of when that transition happens, we might be seeing with Stab Magazine right mm -hmm. now. And the question that I have for you is, does surf media need to have surfers in-house? This is based on two things that happened this week. I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw a post from Tom Carroll. And it's a photo. I've seen this photo before. You probably have too. It's an insane photo of Alan Sarlo at Rocky Rights. And it's shot more from Rocky Lefts looking in, you know, at the right. And so you could just see Alan Sarlo's bottom of his board, just the bottom turn, just tons of spray coming off the bottom. You can't see Alan himself. And it's actually a big day at Rocky, right? It's like double overhead. You just see the bottom of a board up perpendicular to the base of the wave, just shearing off tons of water. And Alan must be laying flat parallel with the bottom of the wave. Um, and anyways, Tom's caption said, at Stab Magazine, this is a proper bottom turn. And I'm mm -hmm. like, whoa, why are they zinging Stab? So I click over and Stab had posted a video clip of Dane Reynolds doing a backside bottom turn. And it said, um, hey kids, this is what a proper bottom turn should look like. But Dane's bottom turn, it was like a standard bottom turn. And it was, he actually had a little hitch in it. Like it glitched a little bit. And the number one comment is Dane and it has a thousand upvotes. And Dane says, quote, that bottom turn actually kind of sucked, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and so, good on Dane. I know, and it was it was advertising Pentecostal's B sides. Okay. So the clips that didn't make the cut for Pentecostal, they put together a five minute edit, and it's Dane bogging on a bottom turn. I mean, he does a good backside turn sure. and whatever. It's Dane, but the funny thing is that the Instagram stabs caption said, "Kids, this is what a bottom turn should look like." And I was thinking, well, that's an average bottom turn, and. 
Tom Carroll's now calling you guys out. Yeah. You got Tom Carroll and Dane Reynolds <laughs> trolling you like you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And it made me think about all the times we've seen Eric Logan post an Instagram of himself surfing. And we're like, God, you shouldn't be posting this. Yeah. Do you not know that there's a vetting process in every surf magazine ever for which photos come across the desk versus which ones you publish? And this isn't good. Or even or even him. I mean, that's, I think I talked about it already, but there was a... I think it was in a story or I don't know where it was, but him, he posted walking to the beach, holding his board, wax side in. Like it's that kind of stuff where it's just like, come on, right. like just don't like you don't speak the language and I know you're happily and bubbly, but this is not a language you speak. So don't put your, yeah, your gobbledygook out there. It would be like, look at my gourmet meal tonight. And he's got a hot dog on yeah. a white bread bun, you yeah. know, like, and by the way, and he's the CEO of gourmet magazine. Yeah. Like that would be the, the equivalent. <laughs> So anyway, this is an article, Stab's intern, quote unquote, that's the way that this was credited, wrote an article. And it, um, it was about him, he or she, I guess, buying surfer magazines on eBay to try to learn the culture. And this is a direct quote from the article. And by the way, that he was also, he or she was also saying he wants to know more. Like, I, I realize I need to learn more. But, quote, I know very little about surfing's history. I don't get in, I didn't get into it until I was about 14, maybe in 2012. Um, so I was born in 98. Andy Irons wasn't a household name for me growing up. 5'5 five five by 19 and a quarter wasn't in my DVD collection. Joel Tudor's Instagram is mad confusing. Basically, I have no respect for surfing's history. My favorite surf film isn't some obscure 90s flick. It's Fun Boys 2. I haven't really gotten sucked into the encyclopedia of surfing wormhole. Ignorant by choice. Hopefully these prehistoric surf magazine surfer magazines can fix that up. Give me uh, give me more of a legitimate surf education. Clear up some of the wild arguments I've stumbled across on Swaylock's forums. End quote. And I thought it's fine that they're like admitting this and like talking about the journey. But this is perhaps why those brands are bankrupt and not relevant anymore. Yeah. And this is the first seed of it. And we certainly know Sam McIntosh surfs amazingly. We know Ashton surfs well. Michael Ciamarella surfs amazingly. Like there's plenty of staffers at Stab that surf phenomenally well. But at some point you hire an intern. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the intern thankfully wants to learn about the business and the history and all that. But it's also... If your front line of defense is Instagram, that's how you're connecting with the public and you're botching it that bad to where Tom Carroll's you're now trolling <laughs> you. This is a bad harbinger of things to come. I mean, but I wonder is surf and, or surf media going to, not that they even need media, but if the version of future surf media that's going to be uh, successful is going to be a website where you can have a wave storm board shipped to your, uh, you know, whatever vacation. Like it's just a, it's just basically a Val website where you can buy layered superfood. They, it already exists. What's it called? The inertia. Oh, I mean, basically, but the inertia doesn't, I guess so. I guess it is. But the, the inertia I feel is locked in niche too. It's just like, it's just doing a bad job of the niche and they just expanded their niches to mountain climbing and bike riding and whatever, but it's not good. And I don't think that, 
I don't think anybody goes to the inertia. And what I mean, I suppose, is that who wants media full stop or surf media? So the surf media of the future will more or less be an online catalog to own, to buy, uh, your wave storm and maybe a couple tips, right? Like when you first paddle out, uh, you know, try to stay sort of in the center of your board, whatever, like, or in a video of how five how to's. Yeah. Five how to's with a, but that's it. And then like not even a review of layered creamer because everybody wants it, you know, you want it. And so just a coupon for, or five bucks off layered creamer. And then, you know, but no, cause who cares about the personalities? Who cares about the history? Who cares about uh, the, you know, like real nerding out on boards, except for the shrinking us where surfing is expanding. Ooh, surfing's core is shrinking down to nothing. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Yeah. We We see it more and more each week. We chose poorly. I think we chose fine. You and I individually, I'm fine doing what we're doing. Well, sure. I mean, I'm fine shrinking down to nothing too. I'd way rather go down on the ship that I wanted to be on rather than trying to pivot or being like on that kook side, that kook side's ugly, but we need some, at some point, I don't want to push violence on the podcast, but surfers should start going and cracking wave storms. Like, Ooh, Really, I mean, not the people, but really, like you see a wave storm, and of course, every surfer has a wave storm, or I don't. But like, there's a time and a place for a soft top for, uh, you know, every surfer. But if there's a good day out in the water, or if it's okay enough, no wave storm should get a wave. Every Agreed. every core surfer should unite just to drop in. You are not allowed a wave. Like, I mean, I it's. Agree. I wonder if the core will get, you know, it's where Dahui came from. They got pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed until they said no more. And then they boom, blew out, right? Where I wonder if surfing's core has it in it to finally say no more. And this isn't going to be violent, but we're going to burn every wave storm. Every wave storm. If you're riding a wave storm, we as a core collective agree free reign on wave storms. Yep. I mean, I'm fine with that. I t- and how great would it be, how, you know, if you really started it, we just should start it. Yeah. If the waves, if you're not on a wave storm, this is the rubric for if you know if it's okay to burn a wave storm. If you yourself are not on a wave storm, that means the waves are good enough to surf a normal board. Then open season. No, yep. no wave storm gets a wave. I like it. Yep. Done. Let it be known. Yeah. From this day forth. From this day forth. Uh Speaking of um, not having any surfers in the house, did you watch Elo's um, speech at the Action Sports and Culture Conference? I did not watch, but I read Rhonda Harper's uh, take on it. Yeah, I didn't watch either. Yeah. It was kind of surprising to me that nobody I know watched it. I mean, yeah. I guess what's he going to say that Uh, he's just going to speak in platitudes? That's the only way he speaks is in fuzzy platitudes. Yeah. Any thoughts on Rhonda Harper's take? Love her. I mean, Ron, oh, I love Rhonda Harper. Yeah, see, Beach Kid's not white male nihilist. It's black female, whatever the opposite of nihilist is. People who believe. <laughs> optimism? Why, but I don't know. Optimist. She doesn't seem too optimistic. She's not, but a nihilist is, believes in nothing. So it's somebody who believes in everything. But I guess she doesn't. She's very, very. Opinionated. Opinionated. Yeah. She believes strongly in certain things. Oh, for man. Sure. I love that Rhonda Harper. 
Uh, yeah. You should have her on. Big um, fan. We've tried. Dirty We've water. tried. Uh, we'll try again. Okay. She she responded funny to Derek the first time. I can't remember what she said. It's like something like hell no, something something something. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, but we'll try again. Um, okay. Well, let's go to Barrel or Not, or let's go to commercial. Come back with Barrel or Not. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Chaz, we're back. Fantastic. Uh, are you going to go get a mattress today? I'm going to go get a mattress. I am so excited about going to get, except I was ordered to have wife come up. He said, do not do it. Do not do it. Do not do it. And it's Craig, right? Eric. Eric, sorry. Eric at... SC Mattress, Furniture and Mattress. It's right around the corner from Album Surfboards. SC obviously stands for San Clemente. Family-run business. I think he's third generation running it. They've been there forever. Fantastic. It's an amazing little shop that services the community. Um, so anybody listening from far away maybe wouldn't order from them. But if you live locally, it's a killer resource. He's a longtime listener. He loaned me uh, staging furniture for when we did the boardroom show. Would that have been 2018 now? So long ago. Might have been 2018. Yeah. And just as a listener, like, hey, dude, I know you're doing the boardroom show. If you need furniture, like, I'll hook you up. And um, then you needed a mattress. And so he's making that happen for you. Needed a mattress. But, yeah. uh, he insisted that the wife come up. The wife is perpetually busy and said, just no, you know, just, yeah, get a firm mattress. So I might be making a big mistake today. We'll see. Uh, how often do you replace your mattress? This would be, uh, I think we have had the old mattress for seven years. Okay. Yeah. I think that's what they recommend every yep. eight years. Yep. I feel like when they started that campaign. It was fake. I did. Totally. It was big mattress trying to get me to buy more mattresses. But now you realize how gross mattresses are. I know. When what you do, see what do they weigh? It's something like after seven years, they weigh like an extra 30 pounds or something just I because of the dead hair and skin and whatnot in there. I feel like the number I heard was like in relation to their original weight. Yeah, like it weighs exactly. three times the weight Precisely. of your first. Exactly. When you, when first, you first bought, bought it. it. 
disgusting. It's so crazy. Very foul. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. But it doesn't seem to infect me in any negative way. No. Infect or yeah. affect yeah. me. Yeah. Cool. So. All right. Uh, okay. Barrel or nah? Moby Dick. Ooh. So Matt Warshaw wrote a piece on the, ins- or because there's so little surf news, it seems like Beach Grit reposted a Matt Warshaw newsletter. Beach Grit does every, every uh, week when it comes out. Just recently though, right? Well, we've been doing it for a good three or four months. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Matt Warshaw's, I think, newsletter doesn't get wide enough blast in his own email. So it's, it's all wonderful stuff. Always. We'll come back to Moby Dick in a second. We just dropped, released a new podcast series called the Sunday joint, which is a deep dive into Matt Warshaw's weekly newsletter. It's that good. Brewer, the Brewer brothers, Tyler Brewer out of New York city and his brother, Jamie host Matt Warshaw produces Matt Warshaw comes on as a co-host uh, and chimes in as well. And um, so that's Sunday joint podcast and worth listening to. It's on every podcast platform, wherever you're listening to this grab Sunday joint uh, because you're right. That encyclopedia of surfing newsletter doesn't get enough play. Uh, but in it, he was giving Matt was explaining his favorite surf fiction literature and said that he had never read Moby Dick. And then Derek chimed in in the comments section saying that he read it three years ago and he loved it. So Matt listened to uh, a snippet on audiobook and said, holy cow, this is amazing. I, I'm going to actually sit down and read it. So Barrel or not, Moby Dick. Barrel. Have you read it? Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read the whole thing. I must have. It's, I think I read the, uh, uh, I'm sorry. I take it back. I have read it. I read it in high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I think kind of skimmy, yeah. not super into it, but right. total barrel. I mean, just the, well, the imagery that we have gotten from Moby Dick, the lines that even people who haven't read it know. Moby Dick is amazing. It is one of my favorite books. And uh, maybe like eight years ago or something, I realized that I had not read because I never did my work in high school. Everything that they assigned me to read, I never read. And people talk about certain things that have like, they're just cultural reference points for people when they talk about, um, I don't know what, I mean, certainly Moby Dick, but. um, The sun also rises. Yeah, like all sorts of classic novels that I just didn't ever catch the references, but I knew I should. And so I set kind of a list, a reading list for myself of classic novels. And Moby Dick was on that list. And I freaking loved, I gobbled it up. Like it was a big book that I thought I wouldn't make it through, or I thought it'd be boring and outdated. It's not, it's so good. Action packed. And beautifully written. Yeah. So you could just flip it open to any random page in the book and just read a a paragraph and it's, poetry it's it's outdated english but it's relatable enough like you understand what every single word means it's not um like a foreign language but the other thing that's crazy is to think that there was a time where the entire world ran but prior to electricity the entire world ran on oil oil whale oil so they needed that everywhere and the hub of whale um harvesting was this tiny island off the northeast called nantucket i've been there it's small and that's where all of the whaling boats left out of 
And these crews would leave for two or three years at a time. And in the hull of the ship, it was all filled with food at the beginning to make, to feed a crew for three years. But as they would start to eat through the food, they would get a whale and they would harvest the oil or strip all the fat off of it basically. And then that would become that portion of the hull had whale oil in it. And so it's just slowly as you're eating through your food, you're filling it with whale oil until the end of the journey, it's all whale oil underneath. And the way that they stripped these things, which again, the book goes into great detail. Harpooning, first of all, is insane. Yeah. They literally pull up against uh, next to a whale in the ocean and start throwing spears at it. That's how they kill these things. Yeah. Then once they kill it, they pull it up next to the boat and they peel it like an orange. They start peeling on one end or the other. And like, it's all pure fat on the exterior of the whale. So you cut into it and like, let's say, get the blade under that layer of fat and then get people on either end of the whale to start turning the whale in the water, rotating it like a spit. And you just work that blade and somebody else or multiple people are pulling the fat into the boat as they're spinning the thing. And you're just peeling it like an orange. Would you like and to then be a leaving whaler? the carcass? What? Would you like to be a whaler? Heck no. Yeah. Heck no. You feel bad killing a, those whales? It's a job for Jay Davies. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but like that whole thing I just explained, if that's not fascinating to you, then don't read the book. But the book goes into tremendous detail of all of the, it's unbelievable. Yep. It's unbelievable to think of that lifestyle that people did that. You're 18, you get married and you leave your wife for three years. You come back when you're 21 and your baby's three years old. Yep. And you got a bunch of whale. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah, crazy. I encourage you to read it. I'm excited. Put it on your list. Matt, you, you can do a book club with Matt Warshaw. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> he's kind of reading it. Um, barrel or not, dressing your dog up for Halloween. Mm, uh, I'm sure we've had this one before. Or did we just have dress your dog up in maybe, general? Maybe it was just dress your dog in general. Yeah, I'm going to say... I'm going to say barrel. Really? I'm going to say your dog is your property. Do with it as you please. And also, who doesn't smile when you see a dressed up dog? Everybody smiles. The people who say like, you know, hey, the idea of ownership with a dog is outdated and rude. You know, we are caretakers. And of course, we're caretakers and whatnot to our dogs. But... We're also the dang owners. And if we want to put a hat on that dog, then we will put a hat on that dog. I'd say it's retribution for me having to pick up her poop all the time. Uh, totally. Well, are you going to dress up your dog? You know, I'm going to get talked into it from my girlfriend. Yeah. This isn't my idea. What are the, what are the uh, costume options right now? Well, I don't know, actually. But I saw one on Instagram that made me laugh. What was it? The... Video is of the front of the dog running at the camera and it basically looks like Chucky with a knife. Oh, so it's like the cutout for the dog's head, but arms that stick out and legs that stick out in front of the dog's own front legs. And in one of the arms is a knife that just happens to get jostled when the dog's moving, you Perfect. know? Okay. So the dog's running at the camera and it looks like Chucky's running like stabbing motion with a knife. Very funny. Hilarious. See, Makes I think it laugh. only works from the front angle though, but that's okay. Yeah, I think so too. Dog costumes make people smile. What if you did the one thing that you commonly see is incorporating the dog into the family attire. So like, I don't know, dad's scarecrow, mom is uh, Dorothy and the dog is Toto or something like that. But what did Toto wear? Just a dog outfit. Yeah. Just like his normal. 
his normal normal um velour track yeah. suit <laughs> that comes with yeah all right so They're are you gonna dress yours no okay but is your wife or daughter gonna dress her and probably not okay yeah it was uh when we were in mexico had the dog uh and you brought I, the dog on your trip yeah it's so easy it is like I didn't really have a place to put her. I mean, she's just a chihuahua, so easy to travel, but didn't have a real place to put her before. Uh, didn't have any vet records. Um, like read online that you don't really need vet records to take it to Mexico. It's like new. And I was like, mm, I don't really trust that. So I emailed or called the old owner and said, hey, is there any kind of vet records? And she sorted it out and sent them over. So then I had like some kind of outdated vet records and just like brought her to, like it was zero problem and even less problem coming back from Mexico with the dog. Wow. Yeah. And how was she on the plane? I mean, it's so such a short flight to Cabo, but great. She just sat in her kennel and okay. yeah, quietly minded her own business. But Crazy. It was her birthday down there. Uh, and at the Ritz, they made her, I didn't know it was her birthday, but the owner said, Oh, come to find out it's Thunderstruck's fifth birthday, whatever it was. And so the Ritz people overheard me, talking or telling my wife and so made a birthday hat a birthday bib thing with her name on it yeah whole nine this is out of control you're blowing my mind right now i never would have expected you to travel with a dog yep and secondly throw a birthday party at the ritz carlton for the dog i didn't throw it you did it was thrown a birthday party was thrown you co-signed this thing as at the ritz carlton for a chihuahua ridiculous yep if that's what the ritz carlton does what does the almond geary do that's what i'm saying well we're, we're gonna find out what we when we crowdfund our 12 <laughs> what is it we need like 1500 i mean 15,000. 15, yeah yeah I'm, I'm presuming there's gonna be a massage like a doggy yoga class a doggy massage at the you get to, you get to a bath. certain level and I, w- I would imagine that say dogs not invited even though rich people love 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 their dogs i think they love to put it up to a you can put your dog in the thousand dollar a night dog spa, like down the road, but no they, dogs here. They might actually have a boarding facility on site. Yep. You know, but I don't know if rich people, I guess rich people like to board their kids. So probably like to board the dogs too. Probably board their kids more than their dogs. Yeah. I think, <laughs> uh, barrel or not birding. Ooh, I'm going to go big barrel. Why? I'm going to go big barrel. I feel uh a you scare white women in central park which is a plus didn't think about that one b uh you're totally unobtrusive to everyone in the world like you're not out clogging the lineup you're not out on the trail on the hiking trail being one extra body you are quietly alone sitting still being quiet just watching what it like there's Isn't it weird though? Uh I mean I am not a have you ever watched what's the bird watching movie, the big year, the Yeah, the big the something year. Yeah, the big year, I think, is what it is. Well, With yeah. Jack Black and Steve Martin. They go to Coos Bay, Oregon in that movie. Really? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. They, they is there a, some important birds in there? There was Bay? that they were hunting for in for the movie in Coos Bay. But uh anyhow, l- don't do it, won't do it, love it. Everybody should bird watch except for me. So I was listening to um, Steve Ranella, who's this hunter. He's famous kind of outdoorsman now because he has a show on Netflix called Meat Eater. And he was on a podcast. He was on the Tim Ferriss podcast. 
And at the end, uh, that was the question was like, how do you, uh, what's your recommendation for somebody who like is craving the outdoors, but maybe they live in the city. Like what's your recommendation for how they can connect with the outdoors. They don't need to go kill an elk in Alaska, but how do they reconnect with the outdoors? And that's one thing that he was saying was he's Bird like, watch. get, get Sibley's book on birds and sit from wherever your apartment is and identify every bird that comes by and learn about that bird and like why it's in that part of the world and all this sort of stuff. We start bird watching now. That and I was kind fun. of fascinated by the concept. And he's like, if you're in New York, but you could see the Hudson and there's seagulls across the Hudson. Like it seems, you know, a seagull you wouldn't even think about, but understand why a seagull is. It seems like it would gamify life. Like it would make life. Which I think a, is kind of the point of what he was saying. A fun game. Uh, I was on out in Catalina this past weekend and I didn't know they had bald eagles out there. I was just sitting there on the boat and two big, huge bald eagles came just flying over and circled around and then flew back up the island. Majestic. Very majestic, very patriotic. Well, when you see something like that, it really does take your breath away. Like the majesty and and also this, the talons and like yeah. the actual predator aspect of them is fascinating. Um, my dad, I don't know if he still does, watches a bald eagle cam. Oh, there's a camera somewhere in the local mountains on a bald eagle's nest. Oh, you and you, see it's streaming 24 seven. You just log on. You could see him. Yeah. Like they had kids at one point. They got, you know, killed a snake at one point, brought the snake back to the nest and wow. like just Fun bizarre. I, yeah. People are really into birds. Yeah. I drive by um, back bay or the wetlands and there's people out there just with telescopes and cameras just sitting forever, just watching. They travel from long distances to get I, photos of birds. I wonder if there's some kind of coffee creamer we could make for people who like watching birds. For And it'll help you, it'll help Fo mellow out your caffeine level. And fo and so you can focus. It doesn't take for away. For a long period of time. Yeah. You yeah. can focus. No spikes. And, nope. Be mellow. No be spikes, chill. but you also won't fall asleep. I think this is a good idea. I think we need to partner with Laird's whoever Laird, cause let's get real. Laird didn't really spearhead Laird that didn't whole do thing. anything. Laird stuck his name on something and his muscles. Yeah. Stuck his name and muscles used clearly was probably mixing stuff into his coffee, like turmeric or whatever by himself. And then somebody said, Hey, I'm going to formulate something. That's the guy we're going to sell it. Yeah. We need the guy. And so we need him to formulate for burgers. And, and by the way, guy, whatever your name is, Birding is way bigger than surfing is. Huge. They made a movie about it. And with it, Steve Martin. And has a has a a bigger growth uh, potential, potential too, because sure. anybody can be a birder. For sure. Well, now yeah. based on what Steve Rinella said, there's going to be people in their New York City apartments being birders. I'm talking about. So, all right, I like it. Birding. Then I didn't think this would be barrel, but I guess it is. It's a big barrel. Three barrels. Yep. Moby Dick dressing up your dog and birding. Huge barrel day. Awesome. All right, Chaz. Well, uh, album surf. Thanks for hosting and. Uh, what do you got going on this next week? So thankful to be done reading the Welcome to Paradise. So I'm going to probably throw my computer out the window this week and never write again. Smart. Yeah. I think that's a good decision. Yep. I think so too. Okay. I think the world will applaud. All right. Well, they can find you on beachgrit.com. But until then, get barrel.